Well, friends, if you've uh, closed your Bible, please feel free to open it again to John 1, but I will have most of it on the screen for us. And why don't we pray together as we open up this section. Father, thank you for what you have been teaching us and what you will teach us from John's Gospel, not only tonight, but across this series. And Lord, we ask that you will open our hearts now, uh, that you'll make them receptive to your truth, that you'll open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, uh, to see what you have to say to us. We ask that you will change us by what you reveal. And uh, we thank you for the great promise that you are working powerfully through your word. And so we bring this time and each other before you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how many of you are familiar with these logos or websites. Flight Center, Airbnb, Webjet, I'm getting some nods and people who know what I'm talking about, of course, because they're quite popular these days for traveling. Or what about this series of books, The Lonely Planet Travel Guides? What do all of these things have in common, do you think? We're all about heading somewhere different, aren't they? You know, whether that's just a trip down the coast, Airbnb, somewhere different for a weekend, or a big exotic adventure. Either way, it's about heading somewhere different. Now, I know that I've spoken about this uh, a little bit before, uh, but back in the 90s, when I lived in Newfoundland, in Canada, uh, this particular Lonely Planet guide on Australia, this book, it spoke loudly to me. Uh, my copy was uh, well-read and dog-eared. And that was because that book gave me a picture of something fantastic to come. At that time, I was getting ready for my first big trip to Australia, a uh, backpacking holiday at that time, and it gave me something to look forward to. So even before I stood on Australian soil, I had this picture in mind. You know, I had read about all the things people do, the popular restaurants, you know, the cafes and places to eat. I think I knew about Harry's Cafe de Wheels when I lived on the other side of the world, you know, the stuff they put in these guides. Uh, I poured over all the pictures of the animals and the scenery and the, the beaches, and I had all these touristy things in mind, daydreaming about, you know, Great Barrier Reef or the blue skies, you name it. And so I had put together this picture of things that I just couldn't wait for. Now, as I say this, you have to hear the flip side. You have to keep in mind that I come from one of the foggiest places on Earth. Uh, there's usually something falling from the sky, whether rain or snow or worse. And, uh, and so the image I had in mind, it wasn't just the pictures. It was also that sense of freedom and newness and something brighter, you know, out there for me. I was living in one world, but looking forward to another. We do that when we want to experience something different. People at the time of Jesus, they were looking ahead because they, they wanted something very different as well. See, they were desperate for something different because at this time in their story, they were a pretty beaten down people. Their glorious history under kings like David and Solomon, that was long, long in their past now by this time. Uh, they had fallen to world superpowers stronger than them, and now the Romans were the ones occupying their land. And on top of this, while they had heard from God in the past through his prophets, uh, there had now been literally silence from God for hundreds, hundreds of years. 
And so the people were oppressed. They were longing for freedom. They were longing for this return to the glory days of old. This was the situation when John the Baptist burst onto the screen. That's not really a picture of John the Baptist, by the way. It's Hollywood rendition or something like that. But, but try to picture this, okay? His coming was like an explosion. All of a sudden, something was happening. This powerful, very dynamic figure just emerged out of the desert, and he was wild in his language, wild in his look, and he was baptizing all these people in the river, and they were flocking to him in droves. And he talked about things that had to do with God. Listen to how one of the other Gospels captures this. This is from Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Can you imagine the kind of stir that someone like him was creating? So it's no wonder that we read here in John's Gospel in verse 19 that the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. The heavy hitters, spiritual leaders, the elite, they sent their big guns out to check out this guy. Why was he baptizing? What was he teaching? And more importantly, who was he? That's the question that we need to answer this afternoon. Who was John the Baptist? Let's keep looking at this little conversation between him and the leaders, and that's going to help us put together a bit of a picture. And so in verse 20 we read, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. This tells us that they were asking if John was the Christ, the anointed one, the promised Messiah. Was he the king who would come and overthrow their enemies and restore them to their glory days? See, they were holding out for this picture that they had in mind. Could this man be the one? But John wasn't the Christ or Messiah. He was only a witness who points to him. That's the first thing that we learn about John. He's a witness. He's confessing freely about someone else. And this is where the very first part of the gospel comes in. Uh, We read, we actually have John's job description here, uh, back in verses 6 to 9. And if you look there, it says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Remember why this gospel was written. To show people Jesus so that they might believe and be saved. To be brought out of darkness, to be brought into light. To be in a right relationship with the one who made us. To become children of God. That's the language across John's gospel. And here we see that John the Baptist, he's bound up in this. He testified to the light. He does not want people to miss Jesus. One Bible commentator that I've been reading, 
he helpfully puts it like this. He says, John's ministry was always about saying, not me, but him. Not me, but him. I love that. That's just an excellent summary of John the Baptist. So I'm going to borrow that for the rest of my sermon. But he's really saying, don't look at me. Don't stop at me. The one who is about to come, he's the one you need to know. And we see more of John's witness then in that way, or his testimony, uh, starting in verse 15. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Have you ever noticed how much effort goes into movie trailers? Sometimes they're even like a little mini-movie themselves, aren't they? Uh, The speaker quite often has this powerful voice, you know. Uh, They show all these little scenes, these dramatic moments, these key little pictures with the main stars, and it's just enough to whet your appetite. You know, that's what they're doing. And so it was only yesterday that I saw the uh, final trailer that they've released for the new Star Wars movie. And, uh, you know, among all these epping scenes, these little grabs, these words would flash up in these little bursts, you know. And the first one said, this Christmas. Then it was, the saga will end. But then it said, the story lives forever. And then after the title screen, the final screen, it came up, December 20th, tickets available now. You know, now don't get me wrong, it looks like it's going to be a good movie. I will go and see it, so I'm not being critical of the movie itself. But the trailer is typical, Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a movie trailer that ended with these words? Come and see it. Or don't. We really don't mind. It's up to you. In fact, just seeing this trailer is good enough. I mean, it doesn't work like that, does it? You know, the whole point is to say you can't miss this movie. You have to see it. You will lose out. You will have no friends. And your whole life will suck in every way if you don't buy a ticket. That's the whole point of a movie trailer. The main point of John's ministry is to say, you just have to see Jesus. You cannot miss out on him. You need him. Don't stop at me. It's not about me. You need him. And so even more than asking ourselves if we too witness Jesus in our lives, I think it's a good question to ask as well. But I think there's an even more basic question here. Am I looking at Jesus? Am I looking to where John the Baptist was pointing? Is it Jesus whom I'm following? Who I rest in? Who I hope in? Is my faith focused on him? See, despite the people's hunger for a savior in the time of John, they weren't quite getting it right. They had this religious concept in mind They they sort of knew the kind of things that they wanted, but they missed the person they should have been seeing or looking towards. And you know, Christians today, believers today can do that as well. It's even possible to look to good Christian things, you know, church and its ministries, um, exploring our theology, reading time in the Bible. You know, we can actually do all of that and still miss Jesus. And all that we do, he has to be at the center because ultimately it's about him. And so as we read the Bible, we can. We can ask God, show me Jesus on these pages. Or as we come together and we share in doing ministry at church, we can remind ourselves, you know, it's Jesus who we are serving. 
And to push this even further, the basic approach of John here can be ours too. Not me, but him. You know, there are so many ways that we can live this out. You know, coming to church with a heart to love Jesus' people. You know, and reaching out to someone new, even when that can be a little bit hard sometimes. Or, or looking to honor Christ in our conversations at work. Or reminding ourselves that we, we love our families as we help them to grow in Christ. You know, or trusting our future plans into his hands. Not trying to only just control all of it ourselves. And even being able to repent of our sins. Because that's really saying, you know, it's not about me having my own way. It's about your way. I look to him. I will look to his grace and newness and forgiveness and restoration. See, for us to look where John is pointing is to find joy and hope and comfort and meaning. John was a witness. But he was a small p prophet too. Small p prophet. Now, that's a technical term that I made up all by myself. You won't find that one in the Bible. Now, that's a burnism. I'm choosing those words carefully. Um, but listen as we keep reading the conversation between John and the leaders here. So he's just made it clear that he's not the Christ. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Again, here we see the deep need of the people. They were latching on to promised figures from their history. They were trying to connect them with John. So Elijah, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who brought God's word at a time when the people had turned away to a false god. He challenged their false worship. Uh, Elijah was also this strange sort of figure who emerged in, in those days, and he wore clothing made of animal hair and had a leather belt. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the book of Malachi promised that when the Lord returns in glory, there will be an Elijah-type figure. That sort of makes sense, doesn't it? That they would be thinking that John is the return of Elijah. But when they ask him, he says, no. Now still, they're desperate to know who he is. And so they latch on then to another promised figure. In Deuteronomy, it says that a prophet will come, somebody like Moses. Could John be that one? They so much want God to come and freedom from the mess that they're in that they are searching their scriptures for anyone connected with God's promises. We can almost feel their confusion and frustration, can't we? You know, look, if you're not the Messiah, if you are not Elijah, if you are not this prophet, well, who in the world are you? We can't go back empty-handed. Tell us something. And so John's final answer to them says so much. He quotes from Isaiah 40, saying that he is a desert voice calling out to make way straight for the Lord. This is so important if we want to understand not only John the Baptist, but also Jesus. See, this quote from Isaiah comes from God's promise of restoration. 
Isaiah 40, this is the turning point in the book. Okay, this is after the people, they had been judged for rejecting God. They had been defeated by a powerful enemy nation. They were exiled, literally taken away to enemy, uh, you know, far away from their homeland, to enemy land. And so the, Isaiah, so the prophet Isaiah, he came with words of hope and comfort. God was calling them back into a relationship with himself. And so Isaiah was promising, look, it's going to look something like this. Put everything in place for the coming of your God, who's going to make it all new. And he used the language that they they had at the time for the coming of a king or, or a dignitary. Get the roads ready. Make sure nothing will be in the way. No barriers, no obstacles for the coming king. And so we see here in just this little quote that a big part of John the Baptist's ministry was to announce the coming of the saving and renewing king. Do you see what's happening here? The people are asking the wrong questions. See, John actually is an Elijah in that he is an Elijah-type figure emerging with news from God. Uh, Jesus himself will talk about John the Baptist this way later on in the gospel. But he is not the Elijah the way the people are expecting. Because he's not the one to fix it all. And, And in some ways, John, he is a prophet. He's announcing God's truth. But he is not the prophet the way the people were hoping. His point again is that it's not about him. He is only the forerunner to the coming king. He's a voice of promise, in a sense. And so that's why I call him a small p prophet. But, you know, this reminds us of a great hope that comes with Jesus. See, he never was a last-ditch effort by God to fix the mess of his people. When we wonder if God truly is in control, if he knows our needs, if he has compassion, if he wants to restore us, we can look to what's happening here with John the Baptist. Think about this in light of all that we've heard already since the first verse of this gospel. This is a plan that started right back at the very beginning of all things. Creation is bound up in it since Jesus is the creator and we are his people. We see this plan unfolding through the Old Testament with Moses and the prophets. We hear this announcement of a coming king through Isaiah and other parts of the Bible storyline. And so if we follow this thread through, we land on John the Baptist. And we see him here bringing all of this together, and he is literally, literally pointing to the one in their midst who is the promised one to come. The story of John the Baptist tells us that Jesus is not who the people were expecting, but he is way better. It tells us that God has a sovereign plan. It tells us he is truly in control in the most loving way. It tells us that Jesus is the king. It tells us that he is the wonderful light coming into a needy world of darkness. And it tells us that God is the one who's reaching out to us. Your king is coming, John is saying. He's coming to gather you up, to redeem your brokenness, to make you new. See, John is a witness, and he is a small p prophet. But he's also a baptizer. Now, this sort of goes without saying, doesn't it? You're saying, burn, that's the no-brainer. Um, we call him John the Baptist. He baptizes. But there is something we should notice as we think about this part of his ministry. 
We're only going to look at this last point briefly, but look with me, please, at verses 24 to 27. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What John is saying is that his baptism also points further. Now, it has its place. Putting together the details from across all of the Gospels here, we see that it's connected with repentance and with the the confession of sins. That is a wonderful thing. But John's baptism is only an outward washing to prepare for the more powerful baptism to come. In that passage from Matthew that we heard at the start of this sermon, uh, John will go on to say there, he, talking about the coming Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Imagine if you had a Facebook or a Twitter account with hundreds or even thousands of friends or followers. Imagine if you were this larger-than-life figure with many people hanging off your every word. Close as I know is Kamal, but, you know, um, he's got 85,000 friends or something. But, you know, but uh, let me say that's not me. I don't even have a Twitter account, and I'm not the world's greatest Facebook uh, user at all. But think about those people, really, though, that have these massive, massive numbers of followers. What do they usually post about? Usually when you're that popular... You're usually talking about yourself, aren't you? (laughs) Or your own ideas. That's what people are hanging out for. John the Baptist is like a person who everybody wants to follow. Everybody wants to be his friend. Everybody wants to hear what he has to say, but he only ever posts or tweets about Jesus. Never talks about himself. So he's saying, don't stop at my baptism. That's just about me getting people ready about preparing their hearts to receive the one who is greater. Not me, but him. That's what we see in John's baptism. His ministry is about connecting hearts with Christ. But isn't that also something to celebrate when we see it here at EPC? And something to aim for as well? By this, I mean it's never about our church or any church really being the biggest or the best or standing out among every other church. It's always about pointing hearts, pointing the hearts in our midst to the Christ who will save and transform. We do ministry to connect people with the one who will change them from the inside out. John the Baptist was a larger-than-life person especially if you read all the stories together and and put the picture together. The people flock to him. The leaders try to make sense of him. But we see, as we put it together, that he was a witness, he was a small p prophet, and he was a baptizer. And in all of this, he was preparing people for and revealing the true coming king. Because John's ministry was not me, but him. Will you pray with me, please? And as we pray, we'll wrap up our service. God bless you and have a great week. Father, thank you for this passage on John the Baptist. Our Lord, many of us here may know the story of John in some detail. 
We thank you that as we, we stand back and explore it, we see that you are revealing uh, great things. Uh, Lord, not only do we understand that the wonderful ministry of John the Baptist, but we, we see through that who Jesus is as well. And so as we think about John as a witness, Lord, please give us the strength to look where John has been pointing. Help us to see Jesus. Lord, where he is a small p prophet announcing the coming king, help us to be subjects of that king and to follow Jesus. And Lord, where he was a baptizer, getting hearts ready, Lord, we pray that our hearts will be soft to receive Christ, to be changed by him. Lord, we pray as we prayed at the beginning, not only for this sermon, but all of the sermons in this series, that as we explore and spend time in John's gospel, that we'll see Jesus more deeply, that we will know him, believe, and be saved, and be changed and transformed by him, and committing each other to you in this way. In his great name, amen.